just to recap where we're at, we're in First Thessalonians 1, chapter 2. And so far, we've uh, done, Ben did a sermon on being invisible, how it's different, there's a difference between being visible and being present, right, and how God is with us always. Then after that, uh, last week, Cal took us through the sermon on turning from idols, right, and how the Thessalonians themselves had turned from idols, uh, and we should do the same, right? And, and Kel had uh, this thought that, and this question for us, right? What are you turning that's good into God, right? And how we, we should be careful and not do that. Um, so today, that, that's, really, that's really where we're at. This, the series is called Now and Later, and so you kind of see the, the theme around here, Now and Later Life. We've covered chapter 1 in First Thessalonians. Um, and now if you'll turn with me to, uh, to chapter 2, that's what, that's what we're going to get into this morning. Before we start, though, I want to give kind of two examples that I think are going to be uh, interesting for us as we, as we continue. So um, the, the man on the screen there that you see is Lance Armstrong. Now, he is, uh, well, hopefully some of you just know him, right? But uh, he's the 93 elite men's road race world champion. Okay, he's won the Tour de France seven consecutive times. That's really hard to do. Okay, he's uh, a, a legend, sort of, up to that point in cycling and and sort of in his sport, in his work, he's a legend. Um, however, some of you may also know that in 2012, um, the United States Anti-Doping Agency investigation concluded Armstrong had used performance-enhancing drugs over the course of his career. And they named him, <clears throat> get this, the ringleader of the most sophisticated, professionalized, and successful doping program that sport has ever seen. Ouch. And he's been stripped of his titles. Um, he's kind of shameful now, actually, the, of, of what he's done, right? So this amazing, incredible career, or at least so it looked, when it was under scrutiny, it didn't stand. Not at all. Like, now it's worse than, than if it never happened. One more. Uh, Bill Cosby. Wow. Like, uh, in the 1980s, right, Cosby was in the, the Cosby show, which I think many of us, uh, well, some of us weren't alive when it happened. <laughs> but let me tell you, it was a good show. <laughs> um, and it aired from 84 to 92. It was rated number one show in America for five years. Um, and then, you know, he went on to produce The Cosby Show, a spinoff called A Different World. Um, he did lots of things. He hosted Kids Say the Darndest Things. He's got books. I've read one of his books and laughed out loud as I was reading it. Um, just, uh, again, great career. Um, but as you might know, he has also been the subject of uh, publicized allegations. I won't get into what those are, but... Exactly, and if you if you've read anything, you know you know the, the kind of things I'm talking about. Um, but at a, at a kind of at a high level, there's been like more than 50 women that have come forth over the course of his career to um, to say some really uh, terrible things about him. He's now out on bail. He's on out on a one million dollar bail, um, and you know, trial is to be set and so forth. So even presuming that he's innocent, which I think is what we should try to do, it's just he's kind of at a at a point where this incredible career that he's had, again, it's, it's almost like it's, it's worse off than, um, than if it never happened. So I bring those things up because <clears throat> in our passage today, um, we're going to 
we're going to go and take a look at, um, at kind of what there's an underlying accusation that, that, that Paul is defending. And we're going to see uh, how he responds to it. We're going to see how he talks about the results that he's had and how those stand under scrutiny. Are they more like uh, Lance Armstrong or Bill Cosby, or are they a little bit different? Um, just to save the suspense, they're very different than uh, Lance Armstrong and, and Bill Cosby. I know everyone's like, oh, is Paul going to make it? Yes, he's going to be fine. Um, so we're gonna, uh, we're really just gonna analyze, go verse by verse, and uh, so please be in First uh, Thessalonians chapter two. Uh, you can camp there the whole um, the whole morning, and we're gonna look and see how we can apply this to our lives, so we can get durable results, right? Results that stand um, under scrutiny. I'm gonna read the passage to begin with. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with the pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor do we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. So this is what I was saying. Like the, the passage itself makes it sound like Paul was charged by people outside of the church with unworthy motives and improper conduct. So let's see how he responds. And we're going to come along and understand how to respond in our own lives um, as we go about living now. Uh, without impacting any kind of legacy later on. Digging in. Verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. So this is a reminder, like a reminder for everyone here. Um, these are Christians, right, that Paul is talking to. And the you yourselves there, it's, it's, it's emphatic. It's telling them, like, you know, like, you are there. You yourselves know what I'm about to tell you, that our coming was not in vain. So, not in vain, like the, the fruit itself is permanent. Like it's been there a while. And I don't think a tree like that actually exists. Or maybe with sort of genetic modifications. But the point being, like the fruit is there. Like there is a result. Um, there was lasting fruit there. Um, if you look in, uh, in the chapter earlier, in First Thessalonians, verse uh, 1, uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, it talks about how the, the word of God from the Thessalonians spread to other areas uh, in that region, uh, uh, around them. And so, again, this isn't um, empty, useless, or to no purpose. Like, there's actually fruit and there's growth there. It's not in vain. Okay, so how do we apply this in our own lives? Uh, how do we do things that are not in vain, that we can say, what we did was not in vain? So let me say that it's not that you have to be sort of um, super spiritual or on your knees 100% of the time or else what you're doing is in vain. That's, that's not what I'm getting at because, as we know, uh, we've been called to do a lot of things, even in Ecclesiastes where there's, there's a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance. A time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted. Like, as you do those things, like you actually 
engaged in work that God has called you to do. Um, but we're also told later on in Ecclesiastes, look, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Or evil. So this gets to the heart, right? In whatever you do, strive to fear God and keep his commandments. Focus on your relationship to God um, in everything you do here on earth. And we have kind of this really beautiful image there of different thoughts that come across in, in, uh, in Thessalonians. And one of them is this idea of pray all the time. And, and here, like the, the way to make sure you don't have these vain results, the way to make sure you're fearing God and keeping his commandments, like have God with you in your mind as you're going through the day-to-day tasks, the many different things that we've been asked to do. Um, keep God in there. Fear him. Keep his commandments. Pray all the time. Think about God as, as we're doing these things. And that would be a way to make sure that, um, that we don't go after vain, after vain results. Let me get even a little bit more concrete. Um, so, um, for example, uh, in your work interactions, like you're about to go into some meeting. Man, uh, thank God that you have a place to work, right? Right, that you complain, uh, that you have to get up too early. You have to make, like, I've been known to be in meetings from like 8.30 a.m. to 5, like every 30 minutes, different meetings. Like, you know, it can get a little tiring. But, like, man, thank God that I, I can go somewhere. I can get paid and I can do something that God has called me to do that I feel called to do. So, um, so be thankful to God for that. Um, another way is, uh, you know, <laughs> pray for God's wisdom, right? As you're about to correct your toddler for the hundredth time of doing the hundredth thing over and over. Um, as I was looking at that picture, I was like, man, I wonder if that's how Jamie feels when she corrects me like for the hundredth time. <laughs> it's like, oh, stop coloring on yourself, Korea. <laughs> um, then, uh, you know, like if you're in the classroom, right, or like pray for the person next to you instead of just zoning out, right? Again, I've been caught zoning out multiple times. And uh, yeah, try to do that less, right? Try, try to... Again, use different times to be thinking about God and how you can approach a certain situation. That's verse 1. Moving on to verse 2. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. This wasn't a party or a vacation, right? Um, These results weren't coming from a place of comfort. Uh, or obvious earthly benefits to them. They were, Paul, like, he was, he suffered and he was shamefully treated. Um, but he saw that as a privilege. Let me, I'm going to go back to Acts, uh, Acts 16 and Acts 17. By the way, this was mentioned both by Ben and by Cal, right? If, if you really, if you want to understand First Thessalonians, uh, a really good place to also understand the context where it's coming from is in Acts. So in Acts 16, I just want to give us a a reminder of when Paul says, you know, we had suffered and been shamefully treated, we can easily kind of overlook that. It's three words in a verse, right, or four words. It's not much, but if you look at in Acts 16, just to get an idea, and uh, I'm going to... And the... Where we'll pick it up is Paul had 
dead, removed a, a demon from, from, from this girl, and uh, this girl was giving uh, lots of monetary profit to some people, and so they were falsely, Paul and Silas and Timothy and Silas were falsely accused, and, uh, and here's what happens. Uh, in verse 22, Acts 16, verse 22, the crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. Let me just let that sink in. Like, they were beaten with rods. They weren't like tapped on the back or anything. Like, if any, I mean, I'm sure that that, that picture that I have doesn't delineate enough the suffering that they had gone through at the city just before coming into um, into Thessalonia. So when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. I don't even know if that's ironic. <laughs> Keep them safe, jailer, after we just, like, beat them. Uh, yeah, so, so they were shamefully treated. They were beaten. And they were, they were Roman citizens, by the way. And so that, it was just, it was all, all bad. There was nothing legal about, about what they had done to them. And yet, if you look again back to our verse 2 in First Thessalonians, as you know, we had boldness in our God. In the very next town, right, having just been persecuted, having just been beaten, they weren't, they were bold. They weren't hesitating or fearful um, in the face of actual or possible danger. Like, this was likely going to happen to them again, and indeed, like, they did. We saw, uh, and Kel walked us through some of that last time. Like, we saw that there was similar kinds of things happening, even in Thessalonica. And I wonder, like, as I read this verse, I wonder, man, where is that boldness? Where is that confidence Where's that coming from? Um, I think it's coming from the fact that they know God is faithful and will continue to be faithful. Paul has seen his work that God is doing through him come to fruition over and over again. And he knew God. He was bold in God. And his strength was in God. God's faithfulness, what that really just, what that means is that God is going to do, always do, what he said and fulfill what he promised. Right? And these apostles that we're, that we're looking at, they knew that and they lived that. In Numbers 23, so some of the things that, that they may have taken to heart, like Numbers 23 says, God is not man that he should lie or son of man that he should change his mind. He said and will he not do it? Or he has spoken and will he not fulfill it? Or in Hebrews, we know that it's impossible for God to lie. God just doesn't lie. So what does God say? What does God say that, that, could, that they and us could be holding on to? When Jesus talks to Peter, he says, I tell you, Peter, on this rock, so three things, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There's a church that's being built. I think certainly we've seen that come true. The church itself is going to be persecuted because it says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That means that there's going to be attack. But the church will prevail. So they know who the winner is. So this, the essence of true faith that I think is, is leading um, Paul and Silas and so on to, to go on is and they take God at his word and they rely on him to do what he's promised. And so what, what were they doing with that boldness? They were declaring the gospel. 
they're declaring the gospel in the midst of much conflict. We say the word gospel a lot. So I'm going to ask someone in the audience, whoever, what's the gospel? When we say the gospel, like we always throw that around. And for some people, that could just be Christianese. Right, so what's the gospel? Yeah. God saves sinners. Okay. Did somebody else say something else? Yeah, I mean, God saves sinners. It's, it's God uh, and Jesus coming on, on earth, dying on the cross for our sins, and rising from the dead. Right? Like, that's the good news. So when we say gospel, that's what we mean. Towards the end of the verse, it's saying that they're declaring the gospel in the midst of much conflict. Another quick, quick history lesson because I think it adds a lot of context, is the Jewish leaders were the ones uh, persecuting Paul. But at that time, they were also starting to be persecuted by, Roman, uh, by the Roman governments and Roman emperors. It wasn't just Jewish leaders. Um, and this was happening because, because of a couple of things that, were, that was happening in the Roman Empire around that time. Um, there was fear and there was hatred towards Christians. Fear because people didn't understand the manner of Christ's kingdom. Right? They thought that this was going to impact how they govern. Right? They were big into, their, into, into government and, and so on. Um, and they didn't like, oh, Christ coming as a, as a king. What does that mean exactly? Um, so that was one reason why they were persecuted. The other one was hatred. And this one like, just applies throughout the ages. Right? Like, we know that we are, um, that as Christians, um, that served the one and only true God and despised Roman false gods, for example, uh, Christians ended up often being blamed for lots of different things, even um, up to where Emperor Nero set fire to a bunch of buildings, blamed it on Christians, ended up in a lot of uh, persecution that, um, that killed some of the early, early church fathers. So that's, that's kind of the the backdrop of, of what's happening. And this is happening in the midst of much contention, as I mentioned, opposition. And there, there's this other idea that comes across in that verse that is this idea that there's a lot of effort that it takes to, for the gospel to go forth. There was a lot of, uh, almost like, a, like an athlete, this training and working hard towards something. There's this sort of agony, this effort that's happening as they're trying to, uh, to do their work, to preach the gospel in a sense. Um, and as, as, I, as, I, as I mentioned, um, even though there was a lot of hard work that was going on, they kept doing it, and they kept doing it, um, and actually continued in the early church um, and beyond. I say this because when they say that, that look, that we came and we declared to you the gospel in the midst of much conflict, and they were shamefully treated. This wasn't a one-time event. It was the way that they lived their lives prior to writing, um, prior to the event to when they're actually writing the, the gospel, the First Thessalonians, but also afterwards. The, the pictures there, and, and I'm sorry if they're offensive in any way, but, um, but the one with, uh, is, one is meant to depict Peter, the way he died for his faith. Uh, the the way that that happened is um, in Rome he he got wind of uh, the fact that he was about to the people were after him to kill him and he was able to elude them and walk out of the city but as he was walking out um, he saw Jesus going back into into the city and 
And Jesus, uh, and then Peter asked him, like, Lord, where are you going? And he said, I'm going back into Rome to be crucified. And he took that, Paul, I mean, Peter took that to mean that he needs to go back to be crucified for his, for his faith. And so he did, and he refused to be crucified in the same way that his Lord wasn't asked to be crucified upside down. That's Peter. Paul, um, the, the, the way he is said to have died is um, two men uh, were ordered to, to, to kill him. So they, they took him out of the city. Before they did, the men asked him to pray with them, uh, which he did uh, for their salvation. And so they prayed together. And then Paul proceeded to, um, to, uh, to be on his knees to pray for God. And then they, they beheaded him for his faith. So these, are, uh, sorry, so these are people that aren't just saying things. They lived it before and after. Uh, and their pure hearts, their motives, they would have never stood the test of these persecutions if they weren't real. Tertullian, uh, a early um, church uh, sort of writer, he said the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. So persecution had a dramatic effect on Christianity's numbers, but it wasn't what the persecutors were hoping for. Um, the numbers increased as a result. Sorry, it's a little heavy. I'm, I'm almost crying up here. Um, but my, um, the application for us, right? So this is kind of what happened to them, just to kind of give you an idea of where they're coming from. Application for us, I think there's already a bunch in, in, what was, in what's in there, but like, think about it like this. What do you struggle for? Okay, what do you do no matter what? Like in the midst of much conflict, what are you convicted about that you struggle for? For me, like I struggle for work, which is like an okay thing to do. For physical exercise, that's, and again, kind of okay. There's some value there. Uh, on my best days for my family, uh, maybe reading the Bible um, is another thing that would, that would kind of rise to the top. But I'd say, man, like, that's fine. Struggle for the things that matter, okay? And that, like, it matters to do things, whatever you've been called to do, in a way that's pleasing to God. Like, first one, fear one. Fear God. Keep his commandments. Um, the things that God has called you to do, they're worthwhile things to struggle for and look to God and honor God. Here's some things I'm actually becoming more convinced are frivolous. And there are things that are maybe good things at some points, but if overdone, could be bad. So, at least for me, I've done all of these to excess in the past. Um, Maybe even some now as I as I as I read. So, uh, time on your phone, this little guy. Whew, we can spend a lot of time and a lot of struggle for that. May or may not be the right thing. Uh, TV. Oh, but I just want to lay and relax every night for two to three hours. Again, like okay, maybe, maybe, maybe not. Maybe we should look at that. Uh, another one. Uh, video games. Oh, I've wasted so much time on this. Especially in my younger years, but as I've had children and other things, it's become much well, impossible. But uh, <laughs> not that I'm bitter. <laughs> uh, but just really, like, look at where you're spending your time, right? Are these good things turning into gods? Like, um, are they really things that we should be struggling for? Like, they're okay, uh, but I think they can be done. They, they can be kind of a lot more uh, if you're not just doing them in moderation. So, just some things for you, maybe other things. 
So that's all verse, that's all verse two. Moving on to verse three. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. So here I think is a way for, like it's a little guide in this verse for how to approach your work. Okay? And I should, I should clarify, like we all work, whether for money or at home or at school. It's not like we've all been called to, to work. It applies to everybody here. Um, to first talk about the way, uh, the way Paul approached this, uh, he's saying this, he didn't come in here from error. Like, he has confidence that, uh, that his message, his sermon, uh, and their message was not in error. What does it take to know God like that, to be able to declare, I came to you not in error? What it takes is, man, it takes prayer, it takes study, it takes time. Like, in a secular sense, like, just know your work. Be excellent. Work hard not to be in error, like Paul did. And he can just declare that. Um, not impurity. So he comes and says, like, this didn't come from impurity. He wasn't sexually wicked. It was pure. Again, this declaration of, like, you can look at my heart, and, and, and it's good. Um, it didn't come from any impure lusts in their preaching or covetousness, covetousness or pride, anything like that. Um, and he also said it didn't come from any attempt to deceive, um, not deceitful. So, um, like there was there was no there was no attempt to to deceive or to to, to use guile um, or anything along along those lines. The way to look at that application for us. Um, and by the way, like if you look at the examples I was talking about earlier, right, with Lance Armstrong and Bill Cosby and so many others, right, they fail in at least error, impurity, yes, big one, uh, or attempt to deceive, another big one, right? So does the end justify the means? It doesn't, right? Like it, it's just because I won, I didn't. Just because somebody wins seven. Um, you know, Tour de France titles, and he got these results, the way he got them, that doesn't justify how he came about them. Right? There was impurity. There was attempt to deceive there. So honor God at every single step. And let's get even more concrete to our own lives. Work hard. Like, work really hard to keep yourself from error as much as possible. Whether it's at school or in the workplace or Wherever, whatever your spheres of influence are, like, are you working hard at what God has called you to do? When I was in college, um, and so Jamie was at Point Loma, I was, I was in the Bay Area, and um, like, all I did for a couple of years, I mean, I just studied, like, because I didn't want to be in error. Like, I was, it was not, um, you know, unnatural, right, just to go and study until 2 or 3 a.m., uh, wake up a few hours later. I was, you know, early 20s, and I guess you could go on three hours of sleep back then. <laughs> so, uh, and, uh, you know, I'd wake up and just do it again, like just run the, kind of run the clock, lots and lots of studying, because I didn't want to be in error. What do we, what do I, what do we strive for so hard today to not be in error? Think about that, like, they, I think there's an aspect here where there's 
where we don't want to and we should not be in error as that, that's not honoring to God. There is the next part, again, that applies to us is purity, right? Strive for purity in thought and in action. As Paul says, he didn't do things in impurity. Man, and for this, like you need God deeply in your life here to do this. Um, and again, if you, if you kind of look back at our, at our wheel there, the, the fight for purity theme that you can see a little bit here. Um, I mean, you've got to be praying constantly. We have to be praying constantly and looking to God. And so, um, men, like, where do your eyes go when people aren't watching? Women, how are your thoughts? Like, what's, what's happening in your mind? Like, you're gonna, we're going to be in these kinds of battles all of our lives. All our lives. Nobody is immune. But are you striving? Are you fighting for purity? You know, and finally, uh, deceit. No deceit. Like, people around you may, may be using lies to get a leg up, whether it's in popularity or at work or whatever else. That's not you. Like, that shouldn't be you. There's no reason. Like, even if you're sort of bypass for a promotion or whatever, like, it's not, that's not a reason for you to use, uh, to use deceit, regardless of what other people are doing. Your aim isn't people. Your aim is God. It's very different. Verse 4 says, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Great verse. Maybe even my favorite verse out of all of the, the six ones that we're covering today. Great verse. We're, we're aiming to please God who tests our hearts. And this is, like, this is Paul's life. Like in Galatians 1.10, for example, he says, Am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Am I striving to please men? If I were still striving to please men, I would not be a bondservant to Christ. Um, so, approved here, like, it's showing to be genuine. Like, he'd been tried and tested for years, and Paul over and over. Like, he is trying to please God who tests our hearts. Um, and by the way, we'll talk even more concrete application in a second, but this actually, like, this applies to all of us. Like, we have all been called to, like, we've all been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. That just applies to all of us. We know that um, in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We are approved and entrusted with the gospel if you have made Jesus Lord of your life. The other part of the verse which I really like is the fact that God tests our hearts. This was like very important to Paul, right? Who viewed himself under God's scrutiny. He wouldn't dare to serve with the wrong motives. Why is that like why is that such a big deal to Paul? Like what what understanding of God did he have that maybe we should we should look at a little bit deeper? And what I think what comes to mind at least for me when I think about that is God's omniscience. Like he knows all. He knows everything. He's infinite and he's infinite in knowledge. He knows everything, including what's in your heart, what's in your mind, as well as the, 
infiniteness of our universe. I guess whenever I think of, whenever I think of God and just how big and knowledgeable and infinite he is, I always think of like a picture of the, the universe because that, that gives the same thing. But don't take that to mean that somehow God is the universe. Like I'm, I'm not saying that. It's just kind of, he's just, he just knows everything. Uh, and we know that like from 1 John 3.20, God knows everything. Um, and, and with that in mind, like Paul is speaking to please God who examines the heart. And he's got confidence. Oh, Paul has confidence that an infinite God who infinitely knows everything, he has confidence that he is pleasing to God. Like, what? That's amazing. Like, like are we like that? Like, we should be. And if not, like, let's, let's work, let's pray, let's, let's be on our knees, let's ask God to, to give us that confidence to do, to do those things. Um, I think of this as, some people have accountability partners, right? Um, and it's great, like it's it's great to have an accountability partner. Like for me, like I have uh, Jamie, Ben, elders. Like there, there's sort of groups of people very close to me, right? That are that, that keep me accountable. But know that, like even though that's very useful, um, like you don't need that. Like people that don't have that, like God is still there. Like. God is there always, and I don't have Jamie next to me all the time. I don't have this other set of very close people to me all the time. So when it comes to temptation, the doors are closed, no one's around, is it okay to sin, right? Like younger ones, if your parents aren't around, and I think the youngers have left, but you know, feel free to increase the age, right? Your parents or your boss or whoever, they're not around. Do you feel empowered to sin? Like, of course you do. Like <laughs> People just, just naturally... That's what counts for, and we see it in our kids a lot, like where you kind of just see how they act when you're not when you're not watching, and sometimes they do well, other times they don't. Um, but you know, as we get older, like we often get better at doing it, right? When it comes to like you need this authority figure, um, and I just pray that, that wouldn't be us. Like for a lot of people, that's the case, but it wouldn't that shouldn't be us because we have God that's with there with us there all the time, and He knows everything everything. Um, Single people, like when you're alone, do you feel empowered to sin? Spouses, uh, when you're alone or on a business trip, how do you act? How do you think? God is with you, even apart from this accountability uh, group that you may or may not have nearby. And so, to get more concrete with our application to this verse, do you do things, do we do things to please God or man. Let's work to please the right person. God first and foremost, the way Paul was asking, the way Paul was doing. Not your spouse, your boss, your children, but God. And guess what? Like the other priorities, they'll easily fall into line. Like this isn't somehow in conflict with working, uh, with, with obeying the kind of things that, that your boss is asking you to do. Like, uh, we know in Ephesians, right, bond servants, so this is uh, workers, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. So like, God is asking us to do these things, but, but work to please God, not to please the person, right? To be a, like, be a servant to your spouse, do the dishes, take care of the kids, Spend time together. All those things. They're good things. I'm not saying don't do that. I'm just saying the motives should come out of a heart that's there to honor and please God. Um, 
And here's a here's a prayer I've prayed. So, to, just something about me, like on a competitive scale of like zero to ten, I'm probably like an eleven. And so, in lots of areas of of my life, so this is this is something I struggle with, right? And I I pray, Lord, help me to please you and care more about what you think than what others think. And that's a big struggle for me. Like, it's really hard uh, not to try to just please man. Like, sometimes, and, and by the way, when you act like that, sometimes things work out really well, and it does work well in, in different facets of your life. Uh, sometimes, like, it turns me on the inside that it doesn't work out. So it's like, oh, they misunderstood, and like, what else I was trying to get? Like, man, God knows, and he's there. He's there with you. Work to please him. And then everything else will fall into line. And do you know? Do what you need to do to kind of to take care of things. But but again, priority is God. Work to please Him. That was verse four. Verse five. We never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for pretext for greed. God is witness. Um, so this flattery that that's to praise or compliment insincerely, effusely. Or excessively, but Paul, like he didn't wear a false face. Um, he didn't preach for to gain monetary return, right? Like it's not, uh, it's not a pretext for greed that he came with. Not not with flattery. Um, he uh, he came uh, as as himself and as as one that's trying to to honor God. Um, so, and and again, when he says this. When he says this, he appeals to God as his witness. And as we just saw, like God is infinitely knowledgeable. And, and so there's confidence that, look, I wasn't trying to flatter. Um, I wasn't trying to do this for, for, monetary, for monetary return. Um, so this one, our application here, just like no flattery. Don't praise or compliment insincerely, effusely, excessively. It's tempting. Resist it. Like, um, like you come across to your boss, like, oh, you're the best manager ever. How did you get so good? Like, no, just don't do it. Um, uh, let me give you another example. And uh, so you should know a couple things. I, uh, I actually deep, so this isn't a flattery. This is just fact. So I really respect Dave. I do. Not flattery, fact. I respect um, many things, but also... Uh, Sort of he and Becky's family, and, and when, when Dave and I talk, like, I listen, because I respect what he's got to say. So that's just a fact. But I could approach it differently. Um, I could say, hey, Dave, man, how do you do it, brother? Like, that's so good. You know, like, the way you handle family and all the pressures, and, uh, like, the, the way you did that, like, wow, man, that was you, and you did really well. And... And at this point, like it's starting to become from sort of honesty into flattery. And I can keep going, and it'll just become where Dave might be thinking, I guess I am really good. Well, thanks. You know, and, and, and so that's not good for Dave. And then for me, like I'm just starting to become insincere, and that's not good for me. Uh, and I could even take it like, you know, I just flattered you for the last 20 minutes. And Dave, you know, Jamie and I need a break, buddy. Like, can you watch my kids for like another three, four, for like three or four days as we go to Hawaii or something? And like, 
if that's what I wanted, I should just say, hey, Dave, dude, you do a great job. You know I think that. You, like, it's all good. Can you watch my kids or not? Like, and Dave will say, yes or no. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk uh, after the service for my, my vacation plans. Um, so, of course, that's exaggerated, right, a little bit. But, but don't, like, just don't do it. Don't, don't do that. Like, it's very tempting, and it may look differently for you, and maybe more subtle. Just have that in your mind. Don't do it. Verse 6. Nor do we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Um, this one, like, this, the word glory there, uh, it, they didn't seek men's honor or esteem or applause. Um, they, even though there was honor due to them because of their position and because of all that they had done, they didn't seek that. In general, catches honor should follow men. Men should not follow honor. Honor should follow men. Men should not follow honor or, or women. Paul isn't seeking the praise of man. And as I first, as I read this verse, I thought, man, what kind of glory could he be talking about? Small history lesson again is that um, back then, like there was no TV and there were no phones, right? And um, and that's kind of like there were these traveling philosophers, right? And orators. They were they were very common in the Roman Empire. They went from place to place, entertaining. They were seeking a personal following for fame and fortune, right? So Paul and his companions, they wanted nothing to do with these jokers, right? Like they weren't like that. They weren't seeking that. They were seeking um, glory. From God, not from uh, they were they were seeking to please God. Um, they weren't seeking glory from people. But like, note, Paul could have received glory from men. Okay, so if he was an athlete, in the same way that he was a preacher and worked from God, a worker from God, he could have been like the the Michael Phelps right of swimming. He could have been like the Michael Jordan of basketball. Right, guys, they're just famous and good. He could have been like the Wayne Gretzky. Uh, of hockey. Um, he could have also been like uh, Georgi Haji of Romanian soccer. <laughs> How did that get up there? But yes. <laughs> um, so anyway, really good. <laughs> he was really good. Um, and so our application here, guys, our application for durable results, man, seek the praise and blessing of God, not of people. Um, in Colossians, we said, you know, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Man, seeking glory from people, how relevant is that in today's world, right? That goes hand in hand with, with verse 4, what we were talking about a, a couple of verses ago. And this one, again, like, it's really hard for me. Like, I love, I do. It's unfortunate. I, like, I love to get praise from people. And, uh, and, and, and I shouldn't. And it, it's in a lot of areas of my life, whether it's work, oh, you do so well, here's whatever, exercise, body image, relationship to Jesus, my family. Like, we're pretty great. Like, we are. Like, man, that's just, ooh, like, I shouldn't be thinking about that. Um, like, I have to be praying more, right? Like, so first of all, 
pretty much anything, in pretty much everything. And it's just good to get, get like a nice pat on the back. Who doesn't like that? Um, kind of patting the ego and just keeps growing. Like, I have to pray more, right, that God is going to be the one to say, well done, good and faithful servant, right, rather than my boss or my coworkers or my wife or my children. Like, it's okay if it happens. That's fine. But don't seek that. My aim is the glory of God, not my own. Galatians 5.26 says, Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. Like, don't seek that honor from men. John 5.44 says, How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes only from God? Seek the glory from God. Honor God. So to kind of wrap it all up, Here's like not a complete guide for durable results, but at least what we've seen today, and certainly a good start. Don't go for vain results. Struggle for the things that matter, doing those in a way that pleases God. Honor God at every step. Know that the end doesn't justify the means. You don't want to be the Lance Armstrong or the Bill Cosby. Work to please God, not man. No flattery. And again, seek the praise and blessings of God, not men. Let me pray for us and love the band to come up. Jesus, we thank you for being here today. And, uh, and we thank you so much for your word. And we thank you for your faithful servants, Lord, throughout the ages. We thank you for the martyrs um, and, and the, the blood that that you shed Jesus and the blood that they shed um, and that are still shedding today for your kingdom. Father God, I pray that we would be convicted for, um, for you and for doing things that you've called us to do in a way that is honoring and glorifying to you, Lord. Don't let us compromise your values for us um, just to, do, to, to get a leg up on the world, Lord. May when we see you, in heaven, may you say to us, Lord, well done, good and faithful servant. We love you, Jesus. Amen.